Welcome to another edition of the Flathead Beacon Podcast. I'm your host, Micah Drew, recording from the beautiful Flathead Valley. It's Friday, March 3rd. Republican Mark Roscoe served as the 21st governor of Montana from 1993 to 2001. Following his stint as the state's executive, Roscoe served as chair of the Republican National Committee and then as chair of President George Bush's re-election campaign in 2004. He took some time away from politics, but in recent years has emerged to become a vocal critic of the direction of the Republican Party. Leading up to the 2016 election, Roscoe wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post detailing why he would not vote for Donald Trump and his continued opposition of Trump-supporting Republicans, including U.S. Representative Ryan Zinke, has drawn the ire of the Montana GOP. On February 16th, the Montana Republican Party released a letter officially rebuking the former governor and stating he was no longer a member of the party and should not be considered as someone who speaks for the GOP. This was a startling assertion by the Montana GOP, a party that appears to be increasingly at odds with itself as party leaders appear eager to erase the waning remnants of a strong bipartisan history, one that was etched over decades by figures like Roscoe himself. My colleague Denali Sagner wrote about the rightward drift of Montana's Republican Party, especially in the Flathead Valley, which has included a condemnation of GOP primary candidates, sitting Republican legislators with a moderate voting record, and of course, former Governor Roscoe. Today, she shares with me parts of her conversation with Roscoe and more of her reporting for her recent cover story. Before we get to these chats, however, a quick reminder that this podcast is sponsored in part by members of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. Members support all of our journalism in all of its forms, in print, online, and here in the podcast studio, and they do so for as little as $5 per month. Plus, they get some extra perks too. So to find out more or join today, visit beaconeditorsclub.com. Thanks for popping up into the podcast studio today before you take a couple days off to go shred on the mountain. I'm really happy to be here. You wrote this week's cover story about former Montana Governor Mark Roscoe, a very popular Republican who governed the state back in the 90s. He stepped out of politics for a little while, but has reemerged in recent years. And just a few weeks ago, Roscoe made headlines. Can you tell us about what happened? So Mark Roscoe was the governor of Montana, like you said, back in the 90s and had pretty much retired from politics after he and his family left Washington, D.C. towards the beginning of the Obama administration. But in recent years, Roscoe had kind of reemerged in politics and started to write op-eds in state newspapers and start to kind of speak out about political going-ons of Montana and also of the country and making some endorsements that had run against endorsements made by the Montana Republican Party, the the Mm. party that Roscoe was once uh, a part of. So recently, the Montana State Republican Central Committee, the governing body of the Republican Party in Montana, 
published a letter formally rebuking Mark Roscoe, um, saying that he is not considered by the Montana GOP to be a Republican and that his actions uh, ran against the goals of the party and hindered both the party and the state of Montana. And the letter specifically cited a few endorsements that Roscoe had made. One was of uh, Monica Trinnell, the Democratic opponent to Congressman Ryan Zinke in the 2022 Montana congressional race. Mm. The other was an endorsement of Judge Ingrid Gustafson in a Montana state Supreme Court race in 2022, a race that you know was kind of supposed to be nonpartisan. Those races are historically apolitical, but the GOP had solicited a candidate to run against Judge Gustafson. And that was kind of a, a break from tradition. So Mark Roscoe endorsed Gustafson. And then there were two more um, endorsements that he was cited for in that letter. One was an endorsement of uh, President Joe Biden in the presidential election against Donald Trump and of Supreme Court nominee Ketanji Brown-Jackson when she was nominated to the United mm-hmm. States Supreme Court. So the letter rebuked Roscoe, kind of ousted him from the party and said that Montana news outlets should stop referring to him as a Republican and that you know he was no longer considered to be a part of the party. I regret all of their distress. I didn't set about to cause distress. I set about to try to provide some inspiration to think in a different way, to return to some ways that were productive, and to avoid this civil war that's going to tear apart the country. That was former Governor Mark Roscoe. You'll hear more excerpts from Denali's interview with him throughout this episode. Just to note that a lot of this audio was not recorded in a studio, and there is some extra noise throughout, some from our media director, Hunter, who was shooting some great portraits at the time. I mean, this is a very popular at the time Republican governor in the 90s. He then went on to work for then President Bush. He ran President Bush's reelection campaign for 2004. Not somebody that would be considered out of step with the Republican Party back then. Now he comes back into the political sphere, is strongly rebuked. I'm sure he had some thoughts and you decided to go visit him and and get the story from him. Roscoe currently lives down in Missoula and you made the journey down. What was it like talking to him in person? Yeah, so me and Hunter D'Antuano, our media director, made the trek down to Missoula and got to spend some time with the former governor at his home in Missoula. You know, he was great. We got to talk to him for a couple hours and it's, it's definitely super interesting to hear about someone who spent such a long time in politics. I mean, he started out as a prosecutor. He, w- he was in the military. He was a prosecutor. Um, he served in the attorney general's office and the governor's office in Montana before moving to Washington. So he really kind of has this breadth of historical knowledge about politics, both in Montana and in Washington, which really kind of informed a lot of the topics that I spoke about with him in this super interesting way. First of all, I learned fairly quickly that parties are not static group. It's people in, people out mm-hmm. all the time. And when I was uh, in office and afterward for quite a while, there would be um, colleagues, friends, acquaintances that would uh, talk to me about, well, as if I knew everything that was going on yeah. in the Republican Party. And, and frankly, you don't. It, um, they come together in a legis- legislative assembly and that does make it look like a unified whole but it's not. It's constantly moving with shifting numbers of people because um, not everybody can dedicate every day to being involved. And so they are involved and they're, they're keenly interested, but it's not like going to work. So, you know, I don't know that I've noticed any difference except with the leadership because it's changed over time. And 
some of this is a little bit of a surprise, but some of it's not. Because of the way I started, you know, I was not a highly partisan person. I was elected barely, had an incredibly competent um, candidate uh, on, you know, on the Democratic side. She was much the same, um, a little bit of a maverick, and we kind of occupied the center of the political spectrum. She was a little bit center-left, I was a little bit center-right. And frankly, that's where most people were. So in your conversation, how, how does Roscoe feel that politics have really changed since he left office in Montana? Um, so I think, you know, like a lot of us, Roscoe said that he's seen politics become more combative. Mm. There's really been kind of a divide between the left and the right in this country. And for him, you know, he spent a lot of time working with other governors, working in the legislature. And from his perspective, these conversations used to be a lot more about policy and about collaboration. And now they're kind of more about a consolidation of power, um, which is something that he kind of traced back through the early 90s, the Clinton years, and really up until now where we're kind of at this pinnacle moment of, I think, what a lot of people would call um, a pretty strong political divide. And, and he kind of mm. spoke about that both in Helena and in Congress and in Washington. There were a lot of underlying movements when I first went into office. You know, the Republicans had not been in charge of the House of Representatives in 40 years. And at that time, I was working inside the governor's organization, the National Governors Association, which was strikingly nonpartisan. And it, I think it's largely because when you're in that office, you don't just think theoretically. You have to think theoretically and practically and make an assessment of what you can get done because you have to consult a lot of other people. Montana is 150, 50 senators, 100 representatives. And um, in, in Congress, it's much the same way. Uh, but the Republicans came to town and they, they got pretty strident pretty fast. And you could feel a change in atmosphere. There was a little more edginess um, and a little more willingness to do battle to the death. In addition, they started traveling back and forth between D.C. and their home, their home station. And, um, you know, part of it was campaigning, part of it was fundraising. But they didn't have to stay in D.C. as much as they had done before. So, again, their time together was diminishing over time. And people, when they're together, in each other's presence, do much better at solving problems than when they're not. From this conversation you had with Roscoe, did you get a sense of why he feels the political scene changed so drastically? He didn't leave office too long ago, 2001. There were a couple of things that we talked about. Two that we spoke about that I was able to write about a bit in the article were the internet and campaign finance. So um, something that he spoke about was in the era before the internet really blew up and before the Supreme Court ruling Citizens United, which allowed essentially for unlimited campaign contributions by individuals and corporations, legislators didn't spend a ton of time fundraising. And mm. they spent most of their time sitting together both in the legislature, in Congress, and also, you know, in restaurants and in coffee shops and, you know, in airports. They were really face-to-face -face Democrats mm. and Republicans kind of working on issues and teasing things out. And what Roscoe said from his perspective is the rise of the internet really kind of hindered that face-to-face -face communication for all of us, including for politicians. And the rise of these kind of egregious campaign fundraising sessions where millions and billions of dollars are being raised every year 
made it such that especially in Washington, Congress people were constantly flying home to their districts to fundraise, mm-hmm. always thinking about the next election cycle, always thinking about, you know, raising those funds. And, and that really hindered that face-to-face communication, especially in that downtime, which he kind of said hindered that bipartisanship that he was really used to. The, the Republican Congress um, got very aggressive with mm-hmm. Clinton. Clinton didn't have really a problem with the governors across the country, Republican or Democrat. He'd been a governor for 12 years. Um, He knew policy inside and out. He loved it. And he would sit and discuss how to solve issues with us deep into the night, way past when he was supposed to terminate the conversation. We had a table of 50 people around it, and there was just no partisan bickering. We wanted he wanted to do big things and we all wanted to do big things. Um, we worked all of those things out. So I grew very used to this bipartisan approach mm-hmm. uh, with the National Governors Association. And we and we gave and we take uh, we took, you know, we we had and we learned so much through uh, all of those sessions. We met three times a year, but more frequently in regional meetings and a lot got done and um, and all of us were exhilarated. I mean, there's nothing like being able to come in with disparate notions and end up with a solution with a group of people whose responsibility it is to find some better way for the people we live with. And, um, you know, there was just no presumption that others were trying to get over on you or that they were out for themselves or any of those things. And obviously over, what is it now, from 92 to 2020, 30 years, the country's changed, Montana's changed, they've changed. So Mark Roscoe kind of pointed to this political disintegration where the diminishing of the labor movement, you know, he is a Republican. Republicans are not traditionally politicians that work super cooperatively with unions. But, you know, he talked about a good relationship he had with unions while he was the governor and that sense of communal organizations, of community, of belonging, the decline of religious organizations in this country. I think something that he talked a lot about was extremism and the internet. And people have a hard time now feeling like they're really tied to community, that they belong to something. The internet plays into this. And, you know, we get these extremist politics and and the rise of these really sensational characters who are able to kind of bring people into a community of sorts where they mm. feel that there's belonging and they feel that there's purpose and that doesn't come as organically in American life these days. And and he, you know, from his perspective, this really kind of all culminated in the rise of Donald Trump and that kind of cult of personality that he carried with him. Um, he swept up the nomination, but I could see what he was doing. It was the same, you know, tactics of a huckster out on the street would use. You know, you um, you appeal to the small side of our nature. You try to triangulate that and leverage it, uh, one group against another group, and you present your role as the savior, and you keep up a steady stream of critique and anxiety. And now you could do that exponentially more effectively because you could do it constantly, ubiquitously with the Internet. And people on the other end of the uh, receiver were now so overpowered with information, they went to the places where they felt most comfortable, naturally a human inclination. And they became more and more uh, exposed and I think um, 
engaged in what it was that they were being offered as these simple solutions. You know, it was either race um, or it was something to do with some other suspect criteria. Mm -hmm. And with the Internet, you can hop from one issue to another, to another, to another, to another. And you can brand the news fake. And before you know it, um, you have such a mess out there. Nobody knows what's true. Right. So that's when, um, you know, my, my letter to the post obviously didn't move anybody because the movement just kept gathering steam. Well, overall, this drama with with Roscoe appears to be another step in the division of our local Montana Republican Party. We've covered some other aspects of it, and you mentioned them in your pieces, the censure of County Commission candidate Jack Fallon, the rebuke of some of our freshman Republican legislators, Courtney Sprunger and Tony Brockman. With all of this division, does Roscoe see a path forward? Is, Is there hope for his former party? Yeah, absolutely. You know, at the end of our conversation, I, I asked him that. It's hard to feel, you know, hopeful in in light of the kind of heavy topics we talked about. You know, my counsel would be, and it's just not in keeping with the constitutional vision, which is a, a vision of disagreement without disparagement. It, it anticipates rivalry, but but with without oppression um, and penalty, and um, it, it encourages um, fair play. And moderation that with, without virtue, the Constitution doesn't function. It, it was based upon that notion to begin with. Mm-hmm. I mean, the most cited source of the Constitution was the Bible. And, you know, when you really boil it down to it, it has to do with how do we treat each other? How hard do we try to take care of each other? How hard do we try to help others get to a point that we think is important while they help us to do the same? Those are all virtues of the, the Constitution and that the framers made very plain were critical to providing the adhesive glue to the democracy. And they simply, they, they can ignore it or refuse to abide by that code of conduct. But if they do, I think their reign will be short-lived. But he had mentioned that he he talks to a lot of young people who are really interested in getting involved in politics, um, you know, people who are using the Internet to pay attention to the legislature, who are, you know, becoming connected with one another. Um, and I think he really had that hope in the younger generation. Um, you know, I, I am a member of that younger generation, and I definitely feel like politics are more accessible in a way because of the Internet. And that was something that we kind of touched on. And, and also, I think that there is hope from his perspective, in paying attention, Mm. paying attention to changes being made to the Constitution, paying attention to the legislature and, you know, really kind of being active in civics and government and civil society. I think that for him, you know, that was a really nice kind of path towards the future. But I can just tell you from my own life experience, from a guy that's lost as many as he's won, that it's worth it. And it's worth losing to learn and um, worth being able to win to be able to serve. And so I, I really think we have a crying need for younger Montana's younger Americans to get engaged in this process, bringing new energy to it and new perspective to it and some experience with what it is that you, they see uh, with the Internet to, to bear on how they conduct their affairs and their business. So I'm very hopeful, but I don't think it will it'll happen without all of us involved. So. You know, I keep thinking that it's um, 
you know, I don't want to pontificate. I'm, I'm, a, I'm in no position to preach to anybody else. But I would like to try to persuade people that there's a better way. It's more rewarding. It's more lasting. And um, it's more conducive to preserving our freedom and our, our constitution. With this rebuke from the Montana Republicans saying Roscoe's no longer a member of the party, does not speak for the party, how does he view himself? So I, I asked him that question, and I think that that is almost an irrelevant question to him now. And mm. we talked a little bit more about kind of the political ideology that he has been shaped by and that he still follows today. It's really an irrelevant question to me. I don't I, I don't know what I am, but, but I know I'm a conservative in terms of conserving the country, conserving the democracy, conserving the Constitution, conserving our resources, conserving a lot of things. Well, Denali, that was a really awesome read. That cover story, really well done. Thanks for coming in and giving us another view of it. Thanks for having me, Micah. That's all for today. A huge thank you to Denali for taking the time to go behind the scenes with us and share with us some additional parts of her conversation with former Governor Mark Roscoe. Be sure to pick up a hard copy of The Flathead Beacon and read her cover story. This episode of the Flathead Beacon podcast was hosted, edited, mixed, and produced by me, Micah Drew, and music in this episode includes songs by local Flathead Valley artist, Mike Murray. Thanks for listening.